Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today and tell us your story. You have a very compelling story to share with our listeners about how you overcame many challenges related to being diagnosed with psoriatic disease. You've had psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis for 25 years. Uh, Which came first and what would you say was the hardest to deal with as a result of your diagnosis? Thank you for having me here. That's a good question. I think it's something that that people um, wonder about when it comes to psoriasis, which, which one comes first. And typically, I, I fit the mold for, mo- for most patients, which was the skin portion of psoriasis uh, was what plagued me. And then the uh, arthritis portion came much later in life. So I, I would definitely say for the first 15 years, at least, maybe 20 years of, of my psoriasis experience was strictly uh, skin related. The challenge there being, you know, it was mostly visual. It was quite embarrassing. I, I would say that that's how it affected me emotionally. But but the other part of it that really affected me was the lack of proper diagnosis. I actually lived the first couple of years of my psoriasis journey not knowing it was psoriasis. This was back in the 80s where the dermatologist that I had wasn't fully versed and trained in psoriasis and diagnosed it every which way under the sun. It was seborrheic um, dermatitis. It was dandruff, eczema, and I would get all sorts of different topical remedies, which I, actually that's all that was available back then. I didn't even know it was psoriasis until um, I tried to get into the Navy. And it was actually Navy doctors that told me, hey, guess what? You have psoriasis. And I was like, what the heck is psoriasis? So I would say the most frustrating part would definitely be the, um, uh, the lack of diagnosis and obviously the lack of treatment for the first good number of years. Yeah, that sounds like a pain. How long did it take you to be diagnosed? Let's say I was in high school um, when it really started popping up. It was on my scalp, and then it um, transitioned down to my body. So I would say it took about three or four years before I got diagnosed. And as I mentioned before, it was trying to get into the Navy when I was 17. I remember three guys in lab coats coming over and pointing at it with their little pointer going, that's psoriasis. And I remember thinking to myself, so what does that mean? I'm, I can't join the Navy? And yeah, actually, that's correct. I couldn't join the Navy. Yeah. Wow. That's exactly actually what happened to my husband, too. And so, um, great. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your story. So at one point, you weighed 316 pounds. Yep. Um, it's something uh, I'm not too proud of. The journey afterwards is a lot better, obviously. But the journey to 316 pounds it was kind of a sad thing. A lot of it came around social stigmas of being you know, kind of reclusive because of the psoriasis. And it's one of those things that you don't really know is happening when you're in it. In retrospect, when you look back, you realize, wow, this really did affect my life. The journey to being overweight started with the embarrassment, not wanting to be out, not wanting to have fun, 
always worried about where the skin flakes are going to end up, always worried about who's going to see lesions if I wear certain clothes. Um, if I try to be comfortable, are they going to see even more lesions on my arms and my chest and on my neck? It turned into a vicious cycle of, well, wear more clothes so that, you know, no one can see things. Then the psoriasis would get worse. You became uncomfortable with the clothes you were wearing. You became uncomfortable with the social situations. And you started to, to really become an introvert. And well, that's what happened to me. And I shied away from society. I grew up in a place where a lot of the activity was based around the water. So windsurfing and swimming and, and diving into pools and going to the beach. These were things as a psoriasis patient that no way in heck was I going to do because it required me to have a short sleeve shirt or, or, or shorts or no shirt, right? And so I would never get the physical activity. I used to say 99% of the people would go to the beach, 1% would go into the mountains, and I was one of the 1%. I'd go hiking, kind of hide away from society, so to speak. So that that was a good way of getting exercise, but it wasn't enough for me. So the lack of exercise plus the embarrassment and pulling away from society, both of those worked against me. And so I started to get depressed. And what do most people do when they're depressed? They start to eat. When you start to eat, you overeat, you gain weight, and then you become more depressed. The vicious cycle, right? And I would yo-yo back and forth, back and forth. It wasn't a steady progression at 316. It was, I was 190, then 210, then dropped down to 200, then 230. I'm just completely screwing screwing up my insulin resistance the whole nine yards. After, you know, I'd say 25 years of living with psoriasis, it really took a toll on me. And I just became very heavy. By medical standards, I was uh, morbidly obese. Forget what my my fat index was, like at thirty one percent, or I think even more than that. But generally, I felt terrible. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want people to see me. I would use any excuse to either stay at work and, and work overtime, so that I wouldn't have to go out and do anything, um, or I just stay at home and watch TV. It was just a vicious cycle: food and sitting on my butt doing nothing. Managed to hit three hundred sixteen pounds, and um, wasn't happy about that. Well, I think a lot of our listeners can relate to your story. So what prompted you to make a change in in your lifestyle? Well, it's definitely a good question because a lot of listeners might be facing the same thing I did. Essentially, I didn't have like a sudden medical moment. Like I didn't have a heart attack. I didn't have some sort of epiphany or awakening. I just was tired of the way I felt. I, you know, I would literally come home on Friday afternoon. I would take two steps into the house, turn on the TV, and I would literally sit on the couch until Monday watching TV all weekend long doing nothing. I didn't volunteer to do anything. I didn't go out with friends. I didn't try to make friends. I just felt like I was just using oxygen and not doing anything with, with my life. I got tired of that feeling of, of uselessness. I just decided one day I got up out of the couch and what I did was I turned off the TV. That was the very first step. I turned off the TV and that television has not been on since 2014. I decided I'm, I'm done. I don't know how I'm going to lose the weight. I don't know what to do. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to share my mea culpa and say, hey, okay, I'm overweight. What do I do now? I'm just like a, a lot of folks that show up at the gym, you know, you get the rolled eyes like, oh, yeah, another fat person walking into the gym. Yeah, here we go. They're going to want to lose weight, but they're not going to want to do any work, you know. So I was getting a lot of that reaction at first, but I remembered the feeling that that drove me, right? The feeling of uselessness. I made that steal my my courage, my my nerves to move forward. Never again, right, is what I, I said to myself. Never again. I did exactly what they told me to do, which was you got to watch your diet. Everyone hates it. That was the biggest thing for me was to pay attention to my diet, what a portion size actually is supposed to look like. 
what calories are supposed to add up to. That was the first step. And then got a little bit of exercise and then a little bit more. I mean, I couldn't even do 20 minutes on a treadmill. Also, the, the psoriatic arthritis too was kicking in. One thing I forgot to mention was that I did have signs that were all pointing in the wrong direction. Like for example, my A1C levels were getting into that pre-diabetic level. Um, I was on biologics for my psoriasis and the biologics were starting to fail. They just weren't effective anymore. So I actually had moved from one biologic to another biologic and then a third biologic. In addition to that, I had gout attacks. Um, I had to wear a special prescription orthotics. I mean, you know, there were a lot of things that were just not right with me medically. These were all signs that I had to stop what I was doing and do something different. So that in combination with a feeling, that's what, that's what made me, you know, start losing the weight, going to the gym and watching my diet setting goals, you know, one step at a time, right? So I, I knew that losing all that weight was going to be like a thousand mile journey. And what do they say about a journey of a thousand miles? You got to start with the first step. That's the hardest part. It's that first step. Those are not easy changes to make. So do you have any advice for someone who may be in a similar situation? Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's a wonderful question because you have to ask yourself, why is this worth it, right? You have to set goals and it doesn't have to be lofty goals. It just needs to be something that's attainable and something that you can hold yourself accountable to. We talk about in the business world, smart objectives. Well, same thing for your own personal life. You know, it's got to be specific. It's got to be measurable, attainable. There's got to be a time stamp to it. So you've got to be able to say, I'm going to do this in a certain time. So by the end of this workout, I'm going to push my treadmill from 20 to 25 minutes, or I'm going to lift five more pounds, or I'm just going to go for a walk today, even though I don't feel like it. That's an awesome goal right there is just, hey, I'm going to get out today. I'm going to throw my shorts on. I'm going to walk. So the the key component, you got to stay positive. I mean, number one is your attitude. It's guaranteed you're going to have bad days. No one ever has, you know, sunshines and, and, and puppy dogs every single day of your life. You're definitely going to have a bad day, but it's how you handle those bad days that really makes or breaks you. you. Maybe you didn't make a goal. That's okay. Go home, reassess, try the goal tomorrow. Maybe the goal is too much. Um, cut it back a little bit. Find a way to make it attainable. But in the end, attitude is number one. You have to stay positive because no matter what happens, it's going to happen. So the only difference is, are you going to handle it one way or are you going to handle it another way? And that's where you have a choice. Absolutely. That's great. So now you've gone from that first step on the treadmill to competing in marathons. When did you decide to start running and what have you participated in lately? So I've had psoriasis for about 30 years now. And looking back at um, the things that I mentioned before about, you know, not having exercise, being in bad shape. I I never ran anything until I was 39 years old. I remember I was I had lost some weight and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to see if I can take this treadmill a little faster. So I actually jacked up the treadmill a little bit more and I got myself into kind of a jog. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I'm actually jogging. It wasn't long. It wasn't far, but I did it for a minute and I was tired as heck. But I came back and I did a little bit more. And then finally, I said, you know, maybe I'm going to do a 5K. So I set a goal to do my very first 5K. You know, about six months later, I, I did it. I mean, it wasn't the fastest 5K in the world. But hey, I, I, I crossed the start line and I crossed the finish line in decent shape, not, you know, keeled over looking for an ambulance. Then I just kept on increasing it. A runner actually challenged me with, it was a 10-mile run. As you, as you know, I, I went through a bout of, um, of, of dealing with brain, a brain surgery for a brain tumor. And I was having some complications with the recovery. Nothing 
nothing life-shattering, but I needed to make some changes. I decided to switch to long-distance running, so I went from 5Ks to to a 10-mile race in Washington, D.C. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, I've been doing 5Ks all summer, so that's three, that's three three point one miles, and now I got to do ten. And I'm sitting there going, "Oh boy, what am I going to do now? I guess I better start training." I'm not going to be the world's fastest runner, but I can do what I can do. I trained as much as I could in the three months, and I did my first ten mile. And then a friend of mine who does marathons all the time, he's like, "You know, since you did a ten mile, well, a half marathon is only three more miles." <laughs> and so I'm like, "Huh? Yeah, my goal for the year was only a ten mile, but..." Okay, fine. I'll do a half. I ended up training. So a couple months later, I added three more miles and I did my very first half marathon. I did a couple of those and felt great. I remember thinking to myself, huh, I wonder if I could take this to a marathon. I checked with a couple of coaches, friends who who knew me, friends who knew how I, they, they could give me some insight about myself. And so I asked them, what do you think? You've seen how I run. Is it attainable that I can take this from, you know, 13 to 26 miles in about three and a half months. They all overwhelmingly said, yeah, I mean, you can, you put your mind to it and you can do it. So I challenged myself to take it from the 10 mile goal to the 13 mile goal to the 26 mile goal in the same year. It wasn't pretty. Um, (laughs) I probably had one of the worst marathon times in the world. The goal is 26.2 miles away. Just do it, right? I hate to coin the phrase, but it really is. It's okay. You show up at the start line. Go into it with as with with, with uh, as much of a positive attitude as possible. So, and that's where I am today. So, um, I I'm now doing fifty. I'm I'm part of the uh, part of a club that um, we do 50, 50 half marathons in all states. So I'm up to ten states now. Um, I've done two marathons, and I'm working on my third for this year. So yeah, that's that's where I am with with this running journey. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Didn't you say in the past that you hate running? So why do you run? Uh, I don't know why I keep doing these running things. (laughs) Uh, I always joke with folks that I hate running. People look at me like, what? What are you talking about? You do all these uh, marathons and half marathons. It's like, yeah. You know, the question is, is why do I do it? It's not that I hate running. I find it difficult. And, you know, the good things in life, they come with a price. If it's worth it, it's not going to be easy. It's not something that I wake up in the morning at 4 a.m. going, oh, gosh, I got to go out there and run nine miles today because it's going to make me feel good. I'm not one of those people. I wish I was one of those people, but I'm not. So why do I do it? I do it because it is hard. The challenge is there, right? I do it for those things, but I also do it because I remember there are people that don't have that ability. So psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, these are not easy diseases. They're life-changing in, some, in many times, in many ways, a negative way. But again, it's like that, it's like that approach, right? So you, you have a disease. Are you going to let it own you or are you going to own it? So I always choose to stay positive and remember the fact that there are other people out there that have situations that are far worse. I think it's important to um, get out there and challenge yourself. You don't have to do a marathon. You don't have to even do running. But challenge yourself beyond the current norm that you're in. If you don't want to leave the house because you're embarrassed, do something that challenges you a little bit. Maybe just get out of the house and walk a little bit, you know, in shorts and and challenge that norm. Every little step is just a little bit more in confidence. And if you had a bad day, hey, you have a bad day. So what? There's a lot of days left. Might not be easy, right? It might not be easy to make the changes, but at least you take the first step. 
you recognize and you take the first step and then you take the next step and stay positive and you'll get there. So given that all you've overcome, this is absolutely fantastic. You've now decided to help others. Uh, What actions are you taking to give back to others? One of the things that I've found with how to stay positive, especially when, you know, you're really down in the dumps, it's just a gloomy life and, you know, nothing you're going to do is going to pull you out of the funk. So in cases like that, I found that if you just do nice for somebody else, you have no choice but to feel better. It could be anything. It could take the form of, you know, just being courteous, opening the door for someone, donating to a cause, volunteering for a cause if you've got the time. You know, whatever it is, do something nice. Say something nice to somebody. Um, and you'll find that it's it's it catches on like wildfire. If you start a fire of positivity, it really does catch on. And it feeds back upon yourself. You feel better. You know, I, I used to do Meals on Wheels uh, when I had some time during the week. But some of the other things that I like to do is, you know, I'm, I'm volunteering for the National Psoriasis Foundation. I also volunteer, um, you know, as, as an advocate for uh, the Acoustic Neuroma Association as well. In both roles, I, I like to help fellow patients, you know, with what they're going through, especially with stuff like brain surgery, which is very complex and the recovery is a long time. So, you know, I, I, I try to be an advocate for them share what worked for me and help them along in their journey and just give them the tools that they can use, whether it's psoriasis, whether it's um, a brain tumor, whether it's cancer. I had um, I had thyroid cancer as well. All these things, especially when you're meeting it head on for the first time, you don't know what to expect. You need somebody that's going to say, hey, you know, it's going to be all right. You know, here's what you can do. Here's what you can read. Here's what you can ask. You're arming that person with good information that's going to make their lives a lot better in terms of they know where they're going, they know the risks, and they feel more comfortable with with where they're at. You know, being an advocate for those folks to help them along, it's, it's positive for them, it's positive for you. So yeah, so that's what I've been trying to do is volunteer more for others. Um, I did start a, a dog rescue. We focus on um, saving shelter dogs from, from kill shelters. So sometimes within moments um, of, of euthanasia, and we find homes for them. You know, there's so many different ways to stay positive. That's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to do with my volunteer work. Fantastic. Great. Well, we're glad that you found MPF and, and volunteer with us as well. Uh, so in closing, is there any inspiring words of wisdom you'd like to pass along to others with psoriatic disease? For 25 plus years, I chose to sit on my butt and watch TV. I chose to shy away from society. I chose to be lazy. I chose to let psoriasis take and get the better part of me. I chose that. When I became overweight, I could choose to stay that way or I could choose to do something about it. So every day, we all, have a, we all are presented with the opportunity to make a choice. So you have to own your future. A wise person once, t- once told me, you can either be a participant in your future or a victim of it. Those, those words are, are pretty, pretty accurate for most people. It's amazing how many times I'll see a patient walking around um, or uh, just a, a, a person walking around the street that has severe psoriasis. You know, I'm like, wow, has no one helped you? Has no one told you, you know, some of the things that are out there today? You know, and now I understand there's always insurance issues. I mean, without a doubt, that's something that we have to address. Some of these medications are expensive, but there's help that there's help that you could find on the NPF site. Psoriasis today, 
in terms of uh, a diagnosis and treatment is way different than what psoriasis was 30 years ago. And I'm sure there's listeners out there who know exactly what I'm talking about, who um, either were, were misdiagnosed like I was for a long time, or were given just you know loads of topicals that were mildly effective or systemics that were just something that you didn't want in your body to what we have today, which is you know, it's precision. I mean, we have medications today that are so precise uh, that really get further and further and further down into the root cause of psoriasis, stuff that we never dreamed of 30 years ago. I mean, we've got clearance rates that are, you know, 70, 80, 90, 95 plus percent. I mean, it's just amazing. We, we live in a great time and all people have to do is just seek it. They just have to know that there are treatment options out there. This is not the dark ages of psoriasis anymore. There is so much awesomeness that that's happening both now and right on the horizon. It's amazing. So yes, you know, stay positive, seek out the the help you need, and you can get clear or you can you can get on a better path. Great. Those are powerful words and great advice. So thank you so much, Greg. Thanks so much for taking time to be here with us today and sharing your story and being transparent. I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people and we really appreciate it. Thanks, Corrine. Thanks to the National Psoriasis Foundation and, and definitely appreciate everything you guys have been doing. You guys have, have uh, worked so hard. Uh, we've seen the symposiums. We've seen the research. We've seen, you know, all the advocacy that you guys do. And I definitely, as a patient, appreciate everything that, that you guys put into it. So thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.